Um, it's nice and exciting and rather terrifying to be here, and of course a great honor. Um, I'm going to try and think back a little on the last 66, almost 67 years, um, and uh, about how two passions, which I had as a boy, came together. Um, as you might judge from my tie, one of my first passions was chemistry and, in general, physical science. I loved metals. I loved crystals. I loved magnets. I loved crystal radios. I was fascinated by light, by fluorescence. Um, I, um, I wondered whether I might become a physical scientist of some sort. On the other hand, if it was the other hand, I loved stories, whether they were adventure stories or nautical tales um, or fictional tales or biographies. I loved history. I loved the Arabian Nights. I liked to hear my parents telling stories, and I think I liked writing stories. So there was one part of me which was fascinated by things and processes and which looked for models and theories. And there was another part of me which loved narratives and stories. Um, and uh, I, th I think this may be so of, of, of everyone. Uh, Jerry Bruner, the neurologist, has sometimes talked about the human mind as having narrative and paradigmatic aspects. And uh, I certainly, I think, felt both of these myself. Um, uh, there comes a time when you realize that there are certain things you can't do. When I was 13 or 14, I got the feeling that I didn't have the brains to be a physicist or a chemist. And I was rather heartbroken at that. But I thought maybe there's some other things in life. Um, the, um, I should say that my love of physical science went along with a love of the history of science and the personalities. I loved reading Faraday. Faraday was a hero of mine. In his diary, you feel an imaginative human being and a passionate human being. You feel his curiosity. You feel his adventurousness and his boldness and his hesitations and his diffidence and the very unexpected way in which he winds around, often making mistakes, going down blind alleys, coming back. It's a wonderfully transparent account of, of an imagination at work. When I was about 14 or so, I moved towards biology. Um, and then, and geology and narratives, narratives became very important and became a form of science. You have to know the history of a river valley. You have to know the, the history of how continents formed. You have to know the history of life. One has natural history. I finally got into medicine rather belatedly, and medicine, of course, is about people's stories and the impact of injury or disease or, or some biological vicissitude. Um, I missed physics and chemistry and their deep, simple principles. I still love these, but sort of at a distance. 
um, in biology and medicine, things are different. They're complex, they're contingent, they're multi-leveled. Um, and, uh, and you need stories. Uh, the uh, medicine largely consists of stories, and it seems to be to some extent that the model making and the storytelling part of me came together in medicine because case histories and case studies are all at the intersection of biology and biography, of uh, biology and culture. Um, uh, Hertz once said of Maxwell's equations that they seem to take him to an enchanted fairyland. Um, I think that feeling of enchantment and the feeling of a wonderland can be with one and needs to be with one all one's life and it's with one whether one does physics or chemistry or mathematics or medicine or whatever. Um, so although I've talked about different things coming together and some things stopping, I think that wonder somehow or other has been, has been the tone or the tone I've tried to get throughout a, um, a longish and apparently seemingly rather incoherent life. Okay, that's it. <laughs>
And you had mentioned that you had had a desire to write when you were younger. And um, I was wondering if, as a scientist, you still feel that you can maintain some form of artistic creation within your work. I mean, can scientists still be artists, in a sense? Um, I um, Absolutely. I think that scientists are artists. And, um, and that uh, there are basic forms of playfulness, love of beauty, uh, um, and creativeness, which, which go with, with both of them. Um, the, uh, um, but I, uh, um, <laughs> I find too, too many thoughts are contending in my mind, but, uh, um, but yes, I think that, um, uh, that that art and science can can go well together. I'm sorry, I've I've lost a, uh, twenty thoughts, but I, they go okay. Thank you. Um, hello. hello, my name is Miriam Schwartz, and I'm from Washington D.C. Um, and I was wondering, I read a bit about um, your work, the book Awakenings, and your work with the uh, patients, and. Um, I was quite struck by that whole El Dopa experience, the instant sort of miraculous success, and then um, gradually the drug began not to work, and watching the decline of your patients once again after you'd seen them in this um, incredible enlivened state. And I was wondering w what exactly you took from that experience that helped you with the rest of your career. Um, well, the... Um I had a lot of hesitation even for two years before starting the medication. These were people who had been out of life for 30 or 40 years. They'd also all had a very strange, complex disease beforehand, and one didn't quite know what would happen. One physician had called these people extinct volcanoes, but I thought maybe they're dormant volcanoes, and if you uncap them, what then may happen. Um, I hesitated for a long while. There was no precedent in medicine uh, for treatment here. Um, I couldn't always gain consent. Uh, it wasn't clear what consent would have meant, because this would have been consent to an unimaginable change, maybe. Um, but when some of the patients started dying from one cause and another, I felt I had to try the medicine, otherwise they would all die without ever having known anything else. Um, I, I obviously had mixed feelings, including great sadness and, and anxiety and guilt and uncertainty when things started to go wrong. But um, in the event, what the film, what the movie doesn't show, but what I discuss in the book, is that a majority of the patients were able to make some sort of accommodation and most of them said later that their chief regret was that they didn't get L-DOPA years before when they had not lost so much of their lives or their brains. Um, I was a counselor at fifth grade camp earlier this spring and there was a boy who had Tourette's syndrome and he had a really difficult time. I think at that age, kids are really mature and they give each other trouble over things like that. But what has been your experience working with 
um, people with syndromes like that and helping them um, be accepted as normal people in society? Um, well, um, the problems of having Tourette's are at least as much other people's reactions as actually having it. And therefore, whatever may be done in terms of medication or counselling for the person, there's an equal task in public education and public understanding. Um, life is quite reasonable for someone even with severe Tourette's if people are reasonable. Thank you.